This evening's reading comes from Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks, Tim. Um, if you look around you, maybe under your chair or uh, next to you, there should be a piece of paper, which is pretty ironic in a talk about the environment. Um, but uh, that's there because uh, over this message we're going to be... Um, looking at different Bible passages, and uh, rather than flicking through your Bibles, you can just have all the verses that I'm going to be quoting in front of you, which should be useful. This is um, a mini-series, Thinking Christians. Uh, Thinking Christians, when we do these occasionally, I tend to think of them as really useful for Monday morning where you're sitting on your sofa with your bowl of cornflakes and you flick on the news and uh, a topic comes up. How as a Christian do I think about this? And it really is important that we do address some of these issues because, of course, that's not just relevant for that moment when you're on the sofa watching the news. What you think about what you're seeing in the news will impact you throughout the rest of the day. Uh, so we are, uh, that's why we're talking about thinking Christians and specifically the subject of the environment. And this is going to be over the next three weeks because there really is a lot to say. And uh, there is a lot, because there really is a lot on the news about the environment. And I do think it is important that as Christians we do think biblically about this issue. Why is our climate in crisis? That's the, uh, that's the topic for today. Um, we are going to think uh, about some other topics in the next couple of weeks. But let's start off with this. Why is our climate in crisis? Here's the story that the world tells in answer to that question. Remember when we were simplistic and naive? Remember the day when our ancestors uh, would experience natural disasters, whether flood or famine, and they would attribute them to supernatural causes? Those fantastical forebears uh, from Athens to Rome, from Alexandria to Hyderabad, they all understood such calamities came from one common source. They were sent from the gods. Whatever disaster struck, everyone knew who to blame. But, here's the story the world tells, of course we've evolved since then. Modern science has effectively squeezed the juice out of those fantastical fantasies and we have uh, enlightened our way to the way things really are these days. We know what causes this destruction, we know what causes floods and famines, 
melting ice caps and rising sea levels, it's all got one shared source. It's all our fault. But here's where I get in trouble. That's not a biblical story. And I'm not trying to be controversial here. I I honestly aren't. Because personally, I I am actually persuaded that um, the science shows uh, our human impact on climate change. I'm persuaded by that. And next week, we are going to talk about our responsibility as Christians uh, to care for this environment. But that's not where we are yet uh, in our series. My issue is that our society has landed on just one story one explanation for, for climate change. It's all our fault. It's all because of human activity. And this is like a, a core doctrine of the religion of British values. And if you stray from this core doctrine, even slightly, then you're going to get burned as a heretic. But really, haven't we just swapped one simplistic and naive story for another simplistic and naive story. Our ancestors said, oh, it's all down to supernatural causes. And the world today says, oh, it's all down to natural causes. Have we just swapped one simplistic story for another one? The story we all hear on the news is also utterly devoid of mercy. Day by day, we are buried under shame and guilt. If you throw something in the wrong bin, then you are personally to blame for the Pacific Islands going underwater. They say we all need to cut down our emissions, but but how might that impact people in our world who are in extreme poverty? They need access to the cheapest possible materials. They need the most efficient farming methods, don't they? Otherwise, their families won't eat. They can't afford to think about their carbon footprints, and yet the story the world tells says they must. Are they supposed to feel guilty for that? So why is our climate in crisis? The world answers with a story that is simplistic and without mercy. But the biggest issue with this story is that God isn't in it. It's a godless story. When we uncritically take in what COP26 and Greta Thunberg and the rest tell us, we are buying into a godless narrative on the world. I'm not saying they're wrong about everything. That's going to become very clear by the end of this series. I'm saying that taking God out of the story is a really big deal. The biblical story is far more nuanced and... It's got far more, far much more, far more, there's far much, there's far, I can't, look, I can't speak. Sorry, it's been a long day. The biblical story is more nuanced and far more hopeful. That's better. Most fundamentally, because God is the main character in it. This evening, I want to share two ways that God rewrites the story of climate change. Firstly, God rewrites the story of climate change by wearing a crown of thorns. As I said, I am. Uh, there's going to be lots of um, clarifications here because uh, I'm going to offend everyone with this. <laughs> uh, but I am persuaded by the science about the human impact on our environment. I don't want to absolve us of guilt for that. But whether we're on the same page or not with that, that's fine. But in a broader sense, the biblical story starts in a place where 
the blame clearly does lie with us. Um, We all know how uh, there was no climate crisis in the Garden of Eden. God created it perfect, no floods, no wildfires, none of that. But of course, we abdicated responsibility, we chose sin instead of God, and as a response, uh, as, as a consequence of that, uh, our relationship with other humans broke down, our relationship with God broke down, and there were consequences for our relationship with planet Earth. Um, you can see uh, verses, uh, Genesis chapter 3 in your handout. God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Did you get that? The earth was cursed because of human sin. Thorns and thistles sprung up, and hurricanes, floods, uh, famine and wildfires would soon follow. The climate was in crisis because of human sin. And thorns continued throughout the Bible to be a symbol of this curse on the earth. Israel's promised land, Canaan, was meant to be kind of an undoing of this curse. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But as Old Testament Israel turned their back on God time and time again, and then for a final time turned their back on God, once more the curse laid hold in the land. Again, you can see Isaiah chapter 7 in your handout. In that day, in every place where there are a thousand vines worth, uh, worth a thousand silver shekels, there will only be briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for the hills once cultivated by hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. Thorns were a symbol. A symbol that planet Earth was cursed because of human sin. And so far, actually, the biblical story matches the sort of story that the world tells us. So far, the blame for climate crisis and change lands squarely at our feet. And because of this, uh, COP26, Greta Thunberg and the rest, they present what, what I believe is a really toxic narrative where humans are irredeemable villains. They call humanity a virus that planet Earth has caught. They make really dangerous claims that the human population is too high. And who knows where that terrible idea might lead. It's not uncommon to hear people say things like this. You should only have one child because it's better for the environment. And God only knows how many vulnerable people have been pushed to a place of despair and depression and nihilism because of this narrative. Some have even taken their lives. This story is killing people. When humanity is cast as the villain of the story, some people conclude that the world would be better off without them. This story is evil. The Bible pushes back against this toxic narrative, especially against this toxic verdict on humanity. Have you ever wondered why Jesus wore a crown of thorns on the cross? Have you ever thought about that? In John 19, uh, we read, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And each of the Gospels specifically mentions this crown of thorns. On the one hand, of course, this was just the idea of the soldiers, their twisted idea. They wanted to mock Jesus for claiming to be the king of the Jews and indeed the king of kings. But the Spirit of God inspired the Gospel writers to include this detail because those soldiers were doing more than they realised. In God's sovereign plan, Jesus wore a crown of thorns as a symbol that he was taking the curse of sin on himself. That curse that started in Genesis, that curse that led through the history of Old Testament Israel, that curse that we still see today, Jesus took on himself. He literally became cursed for us. As we read in uh, Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The world's story declares humanity as an irredeemable blight on the planet. God's story declares, yes, we are sinful, but we are redeemable. To blame for climate change, yes, but still worth redeeming. So don't fall for the lie. The world is not better off without you. If you're in that vulnerable place of despair, know that your existence is not a problem that needs solving. What, God's verd- what, is, what is God's verdict on you? That's what matters. You are the highlight of his creation. You are more than redeemable. You are actually worth redeeming. God even gave his son for you. He rewrites the story of climate change by wearing a crown of thorns. Human beings matter. We're not the villains of the story. And um, there's a second way that God rewrites this story of climate change. He rewrites the story of climate change by warning of a greater crisis. We're repeatedly told that uh, climate change is by far the greatest danger facing our species and our planet. Um, got a few facts here from some prediction models. Uh, in 2100, the Middle East will be an uninhabitable. Hawaii will be underwater. 200 million uh, will be environmental refugees. As temperatures rise, farmland will be obliterated by floods and wildfires. The number of malnourished children will skyrocket. Extreme weather events will become more frequent and more intense. Coral reefs will be a thing of the past and a third of plants and animals will be in severe danger of extinction. Um, I'm quoting those warnings from the UN. And again, personally, I do take those warnings very seriously. It scares me uh, and it grieves me to think that, as always, the people that suffer most will be the poor. But that's my personal conviction and um, you don't have to agree with that. We're not dealing there in the realm of biblical certainty whatsoever. I'm not here to persuade you either. But for the sake of the argument, let's assume for one moment that we do all agree with the UN's warnings about what this world will be like in 80 years' time. Even then, climate change is not the greatest issue of our day. It isn't. It's not the thing that we have to be most worried about. 
God rewrites the story of climate change by reshaping how we view these warnings. If we let the Bible shape our thoughts, then we're going to have a very different mindset to people that don't know Jesus when we're watching this sort of thing on the news. Because in the Bible, we see that natural disasters, yes, they're a consequence of human sin, but they're also presented as like divine visual aids which point us to ultimate reality. And um, this is a far more nuanced uh, story than the simplistic, naive narrative that we get presented with in the world. It, it is a bit of a mystery, but somehow God's sovereignty and human responsibility intertwine. And, and don't mistake me, God can never be blamed for natural disasters. He never does evil, but he is sovereign over natural disasters, and he will even use them for good. So Noah's floods, that was sent by God in judgment. Job's whirlwind, that was permitted by God to test him. Jonah's storm was sent by God to turn him around. And God is still doing the same today. God is using the natural disaster of climate change as that divine visual aid to point us to a greater reality. Um, I want us to consider a couple of examples to show this. Here's the first example. In the days of Jesus' ministry, there was an earthquake in a place called Siloam. And uh, a tower collapsed and 18 people died in that natural disaster. And uh, in Luke 13, verse 4 and 5, Jesus gives his comment on that event. Um, He says, All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish. Jesus used that natural disaster, do you see it, as a, as a warning of a greater crisis, a greater reality, a world heading for judgment. And we should all view climate change in the same way. It's like the advanced warning system that says, get off the beach, get to higher land to avoid the tsunami. It's like the flashing light designed to save us from disaster. We're meant to look at this broken world and think, oh, wow, this, something's gone wrong with this world's relationship with its creator. But more than that, we're meant to personally listen to Jesus and repent before we perish too. So when we see those warnings on the news, repent. We all need to turn and keep turning from our sin and to Jesus Yes, uh, life on the beach is pretty fun, but when the siren goes, leave your sandcastles, head to higher ground, get out of there. Second example, when we look at the climate crisis, there's another reality that we should see. And this second example flips things around a bit. Uh, The first one was about repentance. The second one is about hope. And here we're back to our reading uh, from Romans 8. Uh, Here, in verses 18 to 25, creation is characterised as waiting, frustrated and groaning. Verse 22, uh, if you look down at your handout, says, 
we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Some of you know what uh, the pains of childbirth are like. Um, from what I've witnessed, rather you than me, um, in our NCT meetings, those are the classes you do uh, before you become a parent for the first time, the instructor told me to expect sounds that sound very similar to a cow mooing. And uh, that's not far off. Um, I'm not going to recount uh, Mel's birth story here, but it involved a lot of waiting, a lot of pain, a lot of drugs and an emergency C-section. Um, not a great day out, but at the end of it, we had a baby, which is obviously wonderful and great. Romans 8 encourages us to view creation like that. Right now, it's subject to frustration. Right now, it's waiting, it's groaning. All those warnings from the UN, those are the groans of creation. It's terrible. It's painful. But they're the pains of childbirth. And in the end, a new creation is going to be born. That should really give us hope. Yes, watching on the labour ward is pretty terrible. Obviously worse for the mum than the dad. Uh, but like, you do feel utterly helpless. And the thing that gets you go- keeps you going is the hope of what you're there for. What's going to come at the end of this process. Again, as we see in Romans 8... For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. A new creation is going to be born, and that is something to hope for. And that's something that we're going to look at in two weeks' time. We're going to think about what is that new creation like. But for now, see how God is using climate change to point towards a greater crisis and ultimate reality. The story the world tells is just full of despair and doom. I believe we should take that seriously. But God's story changes the way we read or watch the news. When we believe God's story, our first response is repentance and hope. That's not the end of the story. We're going to see more of our responsibility next week. But when we hear those warnings, our first response is repentance and hope. God rewrites the story of climate change by wearing a crown of thorns and by warning of a greater crisis. And throughout this sermon, I've kind of been thinking of what I said at the start. All of us tomorrow when we switch the news on when we see uh, the speech that Greta Thunberg gave at Glastonbury today how are we going to be thinking about that we should think differently if we believe God's story and we should feel differently if we believe God's story we shouldn't be full of despair we, we should have genuine hope and we should have genuine mercy rather than this detestable view of humanity that is presented but in conclusion I want us to also think about how we might speak differently when we believe this story Um, this is kind of bouncing off a few of the things that Adrian shared earlier I'm sure many of us end up in conversations about the climate from time to time I'm sure we all do 
I'd like us to accept the challenge to bring Jesus into that conversation. Let's say a colleague starts talking to you about how the planet would be better off without humans on it. Why not respond with something like this? I've written down a a suggestion. Thanks. I understand where you're coming from. If humans are doing so much damage to his world, was Jesus right to come and die for us? That might be a good way of introducing Jesus into that conversation. And hopefully you can bring that conversation round to a much more positive view of humanity. Uh, Second scenario. Uh, What if a friend is talking about what Earth will be like in 2100? You could say something like this. I agree that it's tragic and we should do something about it. But I'm glad that God's story ends with our world being remade as it was always meant to be. That'd be a great way to bring God into that conversation. Next week, we are going to talk about our responsibility But this week has been about rewriting the story and thinking Christianly about what we are being presented. Do not let people take God out of the narrative. God rewrites this story by wearing a crown of thorns and by warning of a greater crisis. Let's pray. Almighty God, you really are the Lord. You are the king, and we submit to your reign. Please forgive us when we unthinkingly take in the stories the world is telling us. Please help us to always keep you on the throne of our hearts. Thank you so much that you don't view us as irredeemable villains in the story of this world. Thank you that you would love us so much that you'd Send your son to become a curse for us. And thank you that we are looking forward to a sure and certain hope of a world remade as it was always meant to be. Please keep us going with that hope when we are frustrated and groaning along with this planet. And Lord, we do pray that we would keep you on that throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.